No one ever asked the people who really were experts on putting on events and creating content, what does it take to create a compelling user experience? How many virtual event companies have popped up? And really all they're thinking about is how do people log on? How do I get to content? As opposed to saying, how do I make my content sticky, interactive, and innovative? Welcome to SHI's Innovation Heroes, a podcast exploring the people and businesses driving change in our drastically disrupted world. I'm your host, Peter Bean. The corporate events industry has always struck me as kind of weird. I can't think of any other business that generates billions of dollars a year by claiming to sell something that few, if any of its customers, are actually interested in buying and using. I know it's been a few months since we've been to one of these events, but I bet you know exactly what I'm talking about. Talk tracks, breakout sessions, vendor showcases, and keynotes. That's what they put on the brochures. But none of it has anything to do with the real reason people pack their bags, get on a plane, and spend days in over-oxygenated convention centers, lounge bars, and buffet lines. People don't come to these events for the information. They come for the humanity of it all. A chance to meet up and nerd out with hundreds, maybe thousands of people who do and know the same things you do. A chance to bond, share stories, build friendships, and sure, a chance to let loose and have a little fun while you're at it. Did you hear Facebook is hosting the after-after party on the rooftop? Here's the thing though. In the wake of the coronavirus and the rush to find a viable digital alternative to the events industry, I think the secret is finally getting out. What the pandemic has done is make it crystal clear that the people running the events industry are actually in the business of selling amazing, memorable, and valuable human experiences. Which brings up a whole new set of questions I think will be relevant to digital innovators everywhere. Are the companies making virtual online events having a breakout moment? Will they crack the code and finally give us a real replacement? Or will everything just go back to the way things were, the second the virus and all of its dangers are behind us? To help me have this discussion, I can't think of a better person and someone who will hopefully play devil's advocate than Ben Choder. Ben is a pioneer of the online learning and events streaming business. And for over 20 years, he's been bringing disruptive and category-breaking solutions to this space. He currently leads as president of Intrado Digital Media, one of the biggest players in the webcasting, streaming, and online events world. And he's the author of a new and very timely book called Transitioning to Virtual and Hybrid Events, How to Create, Adapt, and Market an Engaging Online Experience. Without any further ado, Let's get to our keynote speaker. And don't forget to visit us at Kiosk 1001 for a nice swag bag and a handcrafted mochaccino. Welcome to the show, Ben. Thank you for having me. 
I want to start with a key question, right? We, we've both been in this for a long time and, and there's been a lot of innovation, a lot of change, but you know, you go and you ask you know, event planners what they think of online events. And you know, a lot of the times I get an answer like, not what I'm looking for. So why do you think anyone hasn't really fixed the online event yet? This is kind of crazy that it's taken a pandemic to finally get the world to a point that they understand why there should be virtual events. You know, I've said for the longest time, if you do a virtual event really well, it's going to enhance your physical event by more people find out about your event, then they're going to want to attend your physical event. More people who attend your event can actually share with other people, but everyone was always scared that it was going to cannibalize their physical event. So they shied away. Well, guess what? The world has now cannibalized your event. 12 years ago, even six years ago, four years ago, the event organizers begrudgingly did a virtual if they had to. And really what they thought it was all about was, let's just put a camera in the back of the room, stream it out there, put a couple landing pages, a lobby, and call it a virtual event. And guess what? You have to treat your virtual audience the same way you would treat your physical audience and understand that they're not in the room and understand that they could be watching on an iPhone, a laptop, a desktop, even a TV if they're getting it via OTT. But most organizations just were like, nope, I'm not going to create any special content for them. We're not going to engage that audience. We'll let them just be voyeurs. And it doesn't work. So the attendee usually had a bad user experience because the content or the way it was delivered wasn't special for them. And the event organizer, it didn't grow their event because the content wasn't good. And at the end of the day, instead of saying, hey, we need to do this differently and better, they were like, yeah, it's not really that important. One of the things that, that always comes up is I, I put this on the people selling these events, not necessarily the people planning them, right? Most people could care less about the keynote speaker and talk tracks at these types of things, right? They care about connections, the experience. Is this something that we can actually replace with digital and online technology and how? You know, I used to always say it is much easier for me to take someone who comes from the world of a physical event and teach them how to do a virtual event then take a streaming person and teach them how to create compelling virtual content. And what I mean by that is, you know, a technologist just looks at everything. Does the video work? Does the audio work? Was I able to log on? Is it secure? And what they never did was sit there and go, what does it take to put on an amazingly compelling physical event? And what attributes from that do I need to take and make a virtual event. And I use an analogy that's kind of going to date myself. There was a movie a long time ago when I was a little kid called The Towering Inferno. And it starred Paul Newman as the architect who built this tallest skyscraper in the world. And Steve McQueen played the chief of the fire department. And at the very end, the last scene is the building is burnt down to the ground. Steve McQueen turns to Paul Newman and he goes, hey, so when are you architects going to call us first before you build one of these? And I always think, always thought, even in 2004, when I started my streaming company, it was no one ever asked the people who really were experts on putting on event and creating content, 
So when you say it's the guy selling it, I agree because just look at what's happening today. We've been in this space a really long time, but how many virtual event companies have popped up? And really all they're thinking about is how do people log on? How do I get to content? As opposed to saying, how do I make my content sticky, interactive, and innovative? When I talk to people who are producing in-person events this year, you know, in 2020, they're the ones I find that are struggling the most. They're, they're really finding it hard to do what people like you and I are in the industry find, frankly, simple because we talk about it all day. But they're finding it very hard to make that transition from that incredibly engaging content to engaging virtual content. And they blame the technology, your technology. What do you say to them? What I say to them is that they're not asking the right questions and they're not talking to the organizers, on, you know, the virtual organizers on what is your ROI? What is a successful event for you? What is a successful event for your audience? What is missing from a physical and virtual event? And where virtual is going is, wouldn't it be great is when you log on to a virtual event, it says, here's a network of people you should meet. It lets the sponsor know these are the exhibits this person should meet with because they're buyers of this. And it lets the exhibitors know these are people you should meet with. So that's to me, like the Nirvana virtual event isn't only getting really good content out there, but how do I cross that chasm to make a virtual event give you a lot of the elements of the physical and actually deliver me the content at the conference virtually that I really need. I'm going to guess that there's some people out there who've been slugging in the trenches, putting together virtual events all year that are sitting here listening, going, that's not my experience. That's not how it worked for me. What are they missing? One is we were in a fire drill mode in end of February going into March. My events canceled. Oh my God, what am I going to do? And they're like, okay, let's just put it online. So the reality is, in hindsight, might, they might sit there and go, it wasn't as engaging, but their priority was my event was canceled. I have these sponsors. I have this content. I got to reach my audience. So you know what? Fire drill. Let's make it happen. And that's what we saw as an organization. We had companies calling us in March and April going, my event's in two weeks. It's in six weeks. We have to do an event. Well, if you're going to do that, you don't really have time to sit back and go, okay, let's organize, figure out how you're going to do interactions. But then what started happening in May and June is organizations who had events in September and October started reaching out. Well, then you have a lot more time. And I think as the years moved on, virtual events are becoming more engaging, more interactive. And as we head into 21 and, you know, the word hybrid is going to be out there when it's a physical and virtual. The key is going to be how do I give the physical audience and the virtual audience really good user experience? And then also, how do I get the physical and the virtual to be able to interact? That's the exciting part about this business is no one has perfected the virtual event to date, which means you as the organizer has a chance to sit back and work with people like us and other organizations and go, Here's what we're trying to create and achieve. 
I want to ask you about another challenge that we're seeing in the online events world, and, and that's attrition, right? People simply won't sit around for hours watching a keynote without getting distracted by email or logging off. I mean, I'm, I'm a victim of this myself uh, to the point where I haven't attended a lot of them because I just know that that's going to be the end result. Why do you think that is and what are, you, what are we doing in the industry to solve for that? The first, the power of a physical event is people travel and they go to the event. And if you go into one or two bad sessions, you, you don't say, oh, I'm going to go home two days early and you leave because your flight's not for a day or two and you still have a hotel room. You go out in the hall, you meet someone, maybe you go to the bar, maybe you sit by the pool, maybe you play golf, but you don't leave the conference. In a virtual event, what everyone forgets is if I go into session one and it's not compelling, and then I go into session two and it's not compelling, I'm one click away from leaving and never coming back. So what a lot of people are mistaking, they're thinking that just because my registration numbers are up because I've now opened it up to the world or maybe I'm not charging, that once they come in, they're going to stay. And I actually think, man, you're better off not doing an event. You're better off having a shorter event if you're not going to be able to give the audience really compelling content. I actually disagree in a little bit with what you're saying, we have seen like the average length that someone stays in a virtual event pre-COVID and now when they, when they attend post-COVID is longer. We're finding the days of the week that people would traditionally do a conference has changed. You know, Saturdays, weekends are not off limit because they're not travel days anymore. And, you know, people like you and I were talking even before this. We're at home. A good example is like our virtual event minutes, the average attendee stay are, you know, up tenfold. I think a lot of the challenge that a lot of the people I've talked to have faced is that they struggle recognizing that without the physical element and the drinks and the friendships and the random encounters and the networking, that the content isn't strong enough. So can technology solve for that? I truly believe that AI and ML is the game changer in this space. And what I mean by that is we need to take, you know, 30% Netflix, 30% Amazon.com, add in, you know, a little bit of my background and what's going on based on my registration information. And when you log on, like Netflix, it says, these are the sessions, these are the people you should meet with. And like Amazon, it, you know, when you go and buy your groceries, it reminds you like, hey, guess what? These are topics that you're interested in. These are the sessions you should go to. But I actually think more important for your event organizers, it will actually give you the information and going, these are attendees I should try to meet with. This is what they're interested in. And being able to suck a lot of data based on their registration in to not only give the sponsors and the exhibitors and the people putting on the program, all the compelling information they need about the audience, but it allows the audience to feel like they're in charge of their own journey there. But at the end of the day, you're never going to have the same user experience you do at a physical event as a virtual event. I was going to ask you this question at the end, but I'm going to ask you now. So let's fast forward and say that this is the virus is over, right? We are no longer in any restricted state. 
Obviously, we're not going to go back to the way things were, but specify what's actually changed. What of these things that you mentioned are working well? Which ones do you think people are going to go back to their old ways on? What is your prediction for what that world looks like for this space? You know, it's funny. I, I wrote a book this year. Wiley Publishing uh, approached me in April and said, hey, this virtual thing's going to be around for a while. You want to write a book? And I'm like, sure. You know, that sounds like something exciting. Thanks for asking. And I was able to get the book done to help people with the on-ramp into virtual and hybrid. But I kind of wish now that I didn't just call, you know, transitioning to virtual and hybrid events because my prediction is an event is an event is an event going forward. You're not going to do a physical event without having a virtual component, and we're not going to call it a hybrid. It is an event, right? And what is working really well right now is the ability to still get your message as an organization out to your intended audience. So what it's done incredibly is I didn't go dark. I didn't go dormant. If I'm an association, I didn't forget about my members. If I'm a a user conference, I didn't forget about my users. And if it's a sales kickoff, I was still able to reach my employees, give them information. And that was really, to me, what 20 was about. 20 was being able to not go dark and try to give the best experience possible. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I always thought physical events should always have a virtual component because your physical event lasts for three days. But now wouldn't it be great that now monthly or weekly, I can keep in touch with my audience and get them excited about next year's physical event by continuing to give them content and information. And oh, if I'm making my money by exhibitors and sponsors, guess what? It's not just a three-day event. It's an event that goes on throughout the entire year. They have not done a great job of saying this needs to be a 365 immersive environment that I'm going to be able to use all year. And I think the other area that most haven't asked the audience, what do you want to see? I want to ask you specifically in that, you know, tying back to that, there are some people that are obviously doing some of those things really well right now within reason, what can be done. Can you give our listeners some really specific examples that you've seen this year that have worked where people have, have taken this vision for the future, especially around 365 engagement. I, I find that fascinating and you're right. Nobody's talking to me about that, but, but companies who, who have taken that kind of approach to how they create their events and, and tell us a little bit more about a successful version of that. Organizations that I think have really embraced virtual and been able to reach their audience in really compelling ways. There's Red Hat, I think, is a great example. And there's been a lot of press on how they've done their events and how they engage with their audience and how they've created deal flow and that they understand that their audience is global and we need to do it in different time zones. Right. You can't just make every program when you do a virtual event at 12 p.m. Eastern. And now a global audience isn't coming to you. You're delivering it to them. You know, Lego is another organization that I've seen has made their events fun. They know what their audience is, right? And and again, this wasn't a consumer-facing event. This was for, you know, like Lego employees and, and partners. And they made it so they gamified it in the way that they would on the physical event. 
it wasn't just education. It was, you know, building Lego or what other products that they would have, but engaging their audience the way their audience would be engaged virtually, but now doing it from their home or wherever they are. I mean, the list of organizations that have done it pretty impressively and have really captured their audience is really long. A lot of healthcare organizations have done a great job of embracing their audience. Like a lot of pharmaceutical companies have always traditionally done doc education where they go into the cities, bring them out to restaurants and, um, you know, give them education, entertain them. And they've done a really good job of reaching their audience virtually and allowing them to have live Q and A's. One of the beautiful parts about people who've embraced virtual is understanding that, Hey, first, Everything shouldn't be death by didactic. Not everything should be a panel and not everything should be a TED talk. But understanding that we've just thrown out time constraint where it's not like this room, physical room is going to be used by somebody else afterwards that we have to move out. Or this room is now going from lunch to dinner. You have the ability to break that third wall and really customize the event for the audience and go into smaller groups that you never could do at a physical conference. I want to know more about those smaller group events. But before we do, I got to ask, going back to Lego and and the gamification success that they had, I read in your report that gamification was up like a thousand percent in events this year, which my first reaction to that was, of course it was. People are trying to be more engaging. But the question I wanted to ask you about that, and it seems like the perfect time to ask it is, is what does good gamification look like? I would tell you pre-COVID was never a fan of gamification in a virtual event, right? Just me personally. I mean, it's always been a big thing for us. Everyone seems to do it. But what I've noticed, and I actually noticed because we did our internal, our SKO, a couple hundred salespeople globally, we did it literally right before COVID, we did it virtually. And what I noticed from my own employees, the 200 plus salespeople who were in it is they like to compete with each other. It, it actually helped them feel like they were in the same room with each other. And you asked, how do you create more engagement? Well, guess what? You get, there's different techniques you could use when you're using a breakout room or general session, but gamification allows me to get my competition I get to mock people a little bit, right? We get to rib each other. We get to engage. And that is one of the keys. And it's not just about winning. It's about us laughing or learning something and having a one-on-one connection that we found as, as people have taken it, you know, we're online, but kind of offline. So they competed online. Everyone likes to be on the leaderboard. Everyone likes to to compete. And then they can take this relationship offline because as they're competing, they're getting to know the people and they're texting with the people. And then that text might go into a video chat. That video chat might go into, hey, maybe we can do business together. So when you think gamification, don't just think get points for doing this, get points for doing this. Gamification is how do I get the user to create content? and share it with the audience and have them engage. It's sort of the TikTok moment of virtual events is what makes something compelling and memorable. 
That doesn't sound easy. Sounds like it takes a village conversation, which brings me, I guess, to my final question, right? You've provided a lot of really great advice for people today, but I want to kind of bring it all back to the where do we start point, right? So looking to that planner, okay, who's probably the person listening to this or that IT manager who's been tapped to to help that planner at the very first stages of, of trying to do this well, where should they start? Okay. And before I tell you where they should start, the one thing is it is not going to be easy. And in fact, I've been talking to a lot of physical event planners. In fact, a good example is I spoke at Outsell. Um, It's an organization and they did their first virtual event. And I actually asked, so what was easier, producing your physical event or my virtual or your virtual event? And she said, producing a virtual event was so much harder And it was for a couple of reasons. One was, you know, herding cattle, at least in a physical event, you know, where everyone is time to go in his room. Where's my speaker? He's over here. Virtual. We're all in different places. It can't just be done on the fly. But step one, it's not find a platform. Step one is what do you and I want to get out of this one day, three day, four day event? What is our mission and what makes it a successful event? And then back into it, because it's not just, did I get 5,000 attendees, right? It, it is more about what was the end result and how did it position my organization afterwards? And I think that's the, the number one piece of advice I can give anyone. Ah, that is so true. <laughs> ben, I want to thank you for being here and, and sharing your insights with our audience. I, I think this was a, a great conversation. Do me a favor and tell, tell all of our listeners where they can find you and where they can get a copy of your book, which I know will help them. Um, ben Choder. You can find me on LinkedIn. But more importantly, our company is Entrato Digital Media. And the book, um, Transitioning to Virtual and Hybrid Events, is on Amazon. So thank you so much again for being here. Stay safe. And I hope to see you soon in New York. I can't wait to see you in New York. So I went into this hoping Ben would play devil's advocate, you know, prove me wrong and give me hope that virtual and real world events are truly going to come together in a powerful and effective way. And I was not disappointed. Ben would be the first to tell you that for a lot of online events, the experience has been sorely lacking. But he said something about why it's happening that honestly surprised me. It's all about how you frame and reframe what an event actually is. It's not just about putting real world events online. It's about asking what your goal is and what your attendees are hoping to get from it and working backwards from that. Ben is also an optimist and a futurist, and he has a really spectacular vision for the future of virtual events. He described it as this amazing mix of Netflix and Amazon and AI and big data, and it was really inspiring. The bottom line, the world has changed, and there's a lot of really exciting and amazing things happening in the event space. All it takes is an innovation hero or two to make it work. And that's the message I think will speak to all of our listeners across all industries as we all get used to a new world and a new set of challenges. Oh, and one more thing. What you just listened to was the final episode of season one of Innovation Heroes. But it's certainly not the last, and it's not the end of our adventures together. 
In fact, we're just getting started. I'm excited and proud to announce that SHI is already at work on producing season two, which we'll be releasing in early 2021. That is, of course, if 2020 ever comes to an end. But in all seriousness, I couldn't be happier and more excited about what lies ahead. And I want you, the listener, to know how much I appreciate you giving us your time every few weeks. And if you really want to have a special place in my heart, please, please go and subscribe now. It's the best way to get all the news and be the first to hear our teaser for season two when it's ready to go. We'll also be announcing some big guests and some exciting new plans for where we're headed. So please go and subscribe. And while you're there, please let us know what you thought about season one and what you want to see in season two. We do what we do here for you after all, so please don't be shy and reach out. I'm Peter Bean, and this has been season one of Innovation Heroes, a podcast by SHI. I'll see you soon.